The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode 48, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. And here with me always to break down quarterbacks around the league. And we've got some news to break here at BGN. It's quarterback one in our hearts, in our minds. He is Mark Schofield. Mark, before we get to you and the historical reference, we have some stuff to talk about. We do. Because there is... Eagles news that the fan base is going to be celebrating. We are dancing on graves today as wide receiver coach Carson Walsh, famous for praising Mac Collins because he assigns right, he aligns right in defense of giving Hollins an indefensible amount of snaps throughout the season. He has been let go, fired, canned from the Philadelphia Eagles. In other related news, the Cowboys have also let go of their wide receivers coach as part of their regime change. His name, that I'm probably butchering, is Sanjay Lal. He has the same agent as Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman. He interviewed with the Eagles back in 2017 before the job went to Mike Groh. So there's an opening at that spot. That's who I would first keep an eye on. Uh, Please keep in mind, we are recording at noon on Thursday, so this may age itself. But at the very least, we know that Walsh is gone. But there's more. We are popping bottles here at BGN headquarters because offensive coordinator Mike Rowe has been thrown from the Tarpian Rock. Stick a fork in him. He's like a Spartan baby bathed in wine, deemed unworthy, abandoned him on the hillside. He is gone is what I'm trying to say. So now the search for an offensive coordinator is on and there may be more coaching staff shuffling as we continue on throughout the week and the day. Of course, keep checking bleedinggreennation.com for more updates and we'll get you the news on this feed as well. My immediate thought is passing game coordinator and semi-quasi play caller at LSU, Joe Brady, for the offensive coordinator position in Philadelphia. He spent time with the Saints as he learned their passing game concepts there. There's also a yes for me on Jake Gruden, the former Washington coach. Pat Shermer is a hell na na na. And of course, Deuce Staley has a chance to be internally promoted. And I'm good with that as long as there is another hire from the outside that is brought in to supplement that move. Mark, I am just Dancing on class. I'm giddy. I'm very, very much so You're looking giddy. forward. I, I think my favorite part of this entire, and again, it's it's now, you know, it's in the noontime hour here on Thursday, was your boy, our boy, your son, Benjamin Solak, who said, 
something to the effect of on Twitter, you know, better people will not celebrate somebody losing their jobs. And he immediately responded to that with, I am not a good person. <laughs> I.e., we're just going to, like you said, pop bottles, dance on graves, celebrate this one. Yep. It's, it's, it's big. It, yep. It's big for the Eagles. And I know we're going to talk potential offensive coordinators in a second. I think that's a smart place to start. But I do want to talk about the receiving group because – it's not that pro football focus grades are the be all and end all. They're subjective. You take them with a grain of salt, but they get get into the ballpark of where a team actually is, right? Yeah. PFF's grades for the receivers this year for the Philadelphia Eagles, 70.6, 20th in the league. Just a notch, a slim margin above New England's. And New England's receivers were a disaster zone. <laughs> so that can tell you sort of the neighborhood where the Eagles were receiving group was this year. We can talk offensive coordinators now. I think you have to start with Joe Brady. Go Tigers. Yeah. But the problem is, Ogeron has already said he doesn't want to let him go. Right. You know, Brady said he doesn't want to leave. You know, so there's thoughts that he's probably going to get a big deal. I, I know Penn State was sort of sniffing around at Brady, perhaps. There was a figure of like around $2 million. $2 million, yeah. So that that may entice uh, Joe Brady to stay. They're obviously very interested, and, and Edo has talked about very interested in keeping Joe Brady for obvious reasons. I mean, that's right. why that's why I want him in Philadelphia too for the same reasons. That's why everybody <laughs> wants him right now. I mean, he could he could punch his ticket right now. I, I think Brady can. You look at Joe Burrow, a, a guy that you know a, a summer ago, five months ago, people were like, "Man, it'd be great for him if he gets a Shrine invite." You know, that would be fantastic. That's kind of the neighborhood Joe Burrow was as a quarterback this summer, and then it's gone to well. You know, maybe Joe Burrow is going to get a Senior Bowl invite. Well, now it's like, does he even need to go? Like, and you look at how LSU has transformed their offense. This was a slug it out 22, 21 personnel offense. Under Joe Brady, they're spreading you out. They're attacking you at every level of the field. It's innovative. It's creative. It's much better than we've seen some NFL offenses do. So there's a reason why people love Joe Brady. But I, I can't imagine he gets out of battery. Yeah, and this is from Les Bowen, and I agree with him here. Les Bowen on Twitter is saying, quote, If I'm the Eagles, the next offensive coordinator is going to be someone who has dynamic ideas, but who also really gets Check. Carson Wentz and what he's good at. Wentz and the OC need to be joined at the hip, unquote. Now, that's kind of why yeah. I'm against the Deuce Daily promotion, even though I love Deuce. But if, if he were promoted, I would want somebody with a quarterback mind to, to also be joining the organization from outside because I think that that new hire that works with Wentz needs to come from the yeah. outside as well. And I know, Mark, you wrote a piece about potential offensive coordinating hires yeah. recently. Who else do you have or do you have any extra thoughts on that? Right. I mean, I, this was for Big Blue View mm -hmm. uh, because obviously, look, you hire a special teams coordinator. You have a young quarterback. That OC hire is going to be huge. I, I know there was the linkage of Jason Garrett to New York. Right. Conceptually, I could see where that might work. When Garrett was an OC, that offense was good. You know, he comes from the sort of Coriel school, a downfield approach that might sort of fit with where the Giants could go under Jones. I'm not so sure that fits with where the Eagles are and want to be. I don't think that style of play meshes with Doug Peterson, what he wants an offense to look like. So I'd put that to the side. Mm -hmm. I know you mentioned on Twitter, you mentioned it just now, Jake Rudin. Yeah. I'd be a fan of that. Yeah. Like, we've we've done a lot of shows now about Washington's offense, and while the quarterback play has been up and down, the concepts haven't been. Right. But Gruden's very quarterback friendly. When he, when Kirk Cousins goes to bed at night, he sleeps on a pile of money that he can thank Jake Rudin for. 
I mean, the mirror passing concepts, the half field reads, the things that Gruden can do conceptually to help his quarterbacks out. I, I think Carson Wentz would benefit greatly from something like that. I'm going to scroll down through the list of names that I had to a name that I think should be interested. That's John Kitten. Mm. Who may be... Maybe his way out right? of Dallas because Mike McCarthy wants to bring his own people in town. But Kitten did a great job with Dak Prescott. Yes. A really good job with Dak Prescott this season. If you see some of the coaching clinics where Kitna was talking about quarterback play and how he's also sort of reframed his mind and thinking about the position where... You know, when he was first thinking about playing quarterback, it was take the profit, take what the defense gives you, right? But now he's come to the terms with the idea that you need to be a bit more aggressive. You need to sometimes have appropriate aggression for the position. Who are we just saying has sort of appropriate aggression at the quarterback position? It's Carson Wentz himself. And so I think John Kitna is somebody that maybe it's not full on OC, but if I'm Doug Peterson... I want to get John Kitten in a room. If he's let go from Dallas, mm. I think Kitten is really interesting to keep in mind. I know people have talked to Mike Kafka, currently the quarterback's coach in Kansas City. I think it's probably too early to turn an offense over to him, but maybe. You know, maybe you bring him back as quarterback's coach, maybe you prime away. We also don't know if the Eagles are going to have an opening at the quarterback coach position because we right. haven't heard if Press Taylor is going to stay or not. Right. Also an interesting thought with Kitna, that could yep. be the promote deuce, bring in Kitna, bring in those yep. fresh ideas from the Dallas offense that was so good this year and have him at Carson Wentz's hip. So I, I like that not only as OC, but a potential hire for not a lateral move because he was fired, but basically doing the same thing he did in Dallas or Philadelphia. Right. Um, some other names, Kevin O'Connell, who stepped into the offensive coordinator spot with Washington. I, I think he's an interesting name as well. I like him. You know, they, they moved in a different direction. They went with Turner. They brought him over from Carolina. Who I like but too. Similar, <laughs> yeah, who you like too. Uh, but similar to Gruden, what we were just talking about. The, the concepts are there, the half-field reads, the ways to help the quarterback. Washington's offense was good conceptually. Even this year, it just lacked consistency at the quarterback position. You know, I, I think that would be something to keep in mind. And a name I'll also throw out there, he's sort of been lingering in New Orleans for a while, Joe Lombardi. Look, learning under Sean Payton, mm. learning under Pete Carmichael, you know, he does have experience as an offensive coordinator. That's at the collegiate level. He was an offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach for Mercyhurst University for four seasons. Look, he's also coached tight ends. He's coached D-line. He's coached O-line. He's done some strength and conditioning stuff. He's a versatile, you know, well-knowledged guy. The Lombardi name, you know, it's interesting to keep that in mind. But he's somebody that I'd want to talk to as well, maybe as a quarterbacks coach hire. Um, and Chad O'Shea is the last name I'll throw out there. I know people... You're going to hire somebody that was fired by the Dolphins. He was working with next to nothing talent-wise. And that Dolphins offense was pretty good down the stretch. Yeah. You saw what they did to New England in Week 17. Saw what they did to the and, Eagles, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and let's talk about this. New England was so bad in the red zone this year. So bad down near the goal line. We saw it on Saturday night. First and goal at the one. They couldn't get it in. Chad O'Shea, a season ago, was there sort of – and red zone offensive coordinator. He was the person in charge of sort of scripting that stuff, coming up with red zone ideas. You saw what it meant to New England when they didn't have him. 
I'd hit, I'd at least bring them in for an interview. Yeah, so that's a great list of names that we just put out there. Good stuff, Mark. And I've got more stuff from Doug Peterson. It was weird the way the timing of this worked because yeah. Doug Peterson eventually apologized for this, uh, for the weird messaging regarding the future of the staff in the end of your press conferences that you can listen to at the podium. And we also discussed on the KNS 169, basically saying they'd done a great job and everything like that. And the timing of it was weird because that press conference happened. And then after the fact, he had met with Jeffrey Lurie. This is from Jeff McClain, quote, Doug Peterson had yet to meet with owner Jeffrey Lurie when he gave Grow and Walsh a vote of confidence. He did today. Lurie had pretty much decided by December that he didn't want either back, an NFL source said, unquote. And I'll tell you, Lurie wasn't the only one. Uh, also, Peterson on Grow and Walsh. This is new. Quote, they were a big part of our success down the stretch this past season. This is one of the most difficult parts of the job and something that weighs on me. But ultimately, I have to make decisions that I believe are in the best interest of the team, unquote. And me and Benjamin Solek were kind of talking about this because we were wondering if the Eagles were going to be more run it back or more remodel. That was the episode title of the show because you could certainly make a case. And Mike Grow is not loved around here. Obviously, you could tell from the top of the show and our comments right. on him throughout the season. But you could make the case that over the past six weeks, you include the Miami game too, where they scored over 30 points. And even the Seattle game where they scored nine points. But I thought they had a great game plan coming in. They had to scrap a lot of the motion stuff with McCown in there and whatnot. I thought the ideas were great. So for six weeks, I thought the offense was schemed up right after having some some midseason struggles where we really hated what they were doing schematically. It was a horizontal only offense. Offense. Mark, do you agree that things looked a lot better from an offensive standpoint with what they were trying to do and what they were able to accomplish in the last part of the season? Yeah, things certainly got better. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, how if you go back to that first Seattle meeting, that was the what, 27 yeah. slant flat yeah. game? <laughs> you know, it, it was a boring offense. It got better down the stretch with, you know, diminished talent at the wide receiver room. And I think, you know, you could say that this was warranted, this move was warranted, but it doesn't diminish the fact that, you know, Grow and company sort of did their jobs down the stretch. This team needed to win games to get into the playoffs. This team needed to score points to win those games to get into the playoffs. And they did that even in games they lost. The game planning was better. The route designs and concepts were much improved. They were more creative. They put stress on the defense at multiple levels of the field. So he can be commended for that while still being shoved out the door. Like <laughs> yeah. we could do both. Yeah. It's the NFL. It is a brutal yeah, business. It is. <laughs> Not many coaching changes end with nonviolence. You're either fired right. or you quit or, you know, expiring contracts or, or whatever. But yeah, that's so that's what we got going down here at BGN. We'll be covering this thing from bell to bell. If any news drops, of course, we'll have you here at BGN and we'll have you at bleedinggreennation.com. Mark, when we come back, I actually want to ask you about Joe Judge, the new head coach of the New York Giants. You have experience with him being a Dirty Pats fan and everything like that. Filthy. So we're going to try to get some more information on him. Of course, I'll be checking the, the timeline like a madman as we record to make sure we don't miss anything for you, gentle listener. But we'll be back with more of the QB Sco Show right after this. And we are back here on the QB Sco Show episode 48, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. Michael Kist here with Mark Schofield. Mark, before the break, I kind of teased the fact that we were going to talk about the new hire for the New York Giants. He's been the special teams coordinator for the Patriots. He's worked under Saban. He was part of the, the he was the wide receivers coach, which was the worst unit on the Patriots, as you kind of talked about before, yes, for one year. So the Giants bring in Joe Judge, Judge Joe Judge, if you want to call him that. 
got his own. My name is Judge. TV show. My, <laughs> I saw that meme. That was funny from uh, <laughs> so Ruiz. <good. laughs> so, yeah. what can you tell us? You know, us Eagles fans are wondering what the heck. Who is this guy? Where did he come from? Is he a real person? All of those things. What do you know about Joe Judge? Well, he is a real person. We can start there. Joe Judge is an actual 38-year-old human being who you know breathes oxygen and expels carbon dioxide. He is a human being. What's interesting about this hire, and I've sort of heard you know from people in and around the organization, the Patriots organization, yes, as a dirty Patriots fan, Patriots fan that Belichick really thought the world of this guy. And, you know, it's important to sort of put into the context that Belichick does stress the importance of all three phases, special teams, offense, defense. And we saw the success of the Patriots special teams units over the past couple of seasons, in particular this year. You know, there's a reason why they went 12-4 and with such a bad offense. It's because of their defense and special teams. They were able to win field position battles. They were able to obviously generate points and turnovers in the special teams phase of the game, you look at Super Bowl 53. That was a field position battle. And they hung with Johnny Hecker, one of the best punters in the game from the Rams. Mm. So, you know, Judge does a great job. He's extremely detail-oriented. You talk to anybody about him. Bill Belichick himself has said that he's an extremely detail-oriented person. And that's critical on special teams because you're dealing with people from offensive, defensive sides of the ball. There's so many different moving parts. I mean, you think about the flow of a game. You have a a guy get dinged uh, in the secondary, and you got to realize, okay, he's our L three on the kickoff team. He's our you know personal protector on the punt team. He's like part of what we're doing. You have to make sure you've got guys in ready to go to step into that spot. And then suddenly you, your backup tight end gets dinged, and oh, he's the wind guy on your PAT team and field goal team. Like so, you have to know everybody and what they're doing. So there's a lot of detail oriented stuff that goes into that. Judge is tremendous in that area as well. Another thing to remember, Belichick basically took him under his wing. He was grooming him to become a head coach, grooming him to become the head of an organization. They would talk about roster building and organizational philosophy and things like that all the time. So Belichick sort of knew that at some point he was going to be a head coach. The last thing I'll sort of point out is this. A lot of people from Bill Simmons on down basically dinged this hire, said, Oh, you're hired the Patriots wide receivers coach. That group was awful this year. Mm. Is a wide receivers coach sort of entitled only? Like when Shadow Shade left with Brian Flores, rather than hiring while they just said, hey, Joe, can you do this too? You know, (laughs) guy has no offensive background whatsoever. He's a linebackers coach, defensive line coach, special teams coach. Like he's not somebody that's ever coached wide receivers. He probably doesn't know where they line up to begin with. I mean, so, you know, and and Nick Casero, their personal player personnel guy, you know, Andrew Hawkins even pointed on Twitter that a lot of times he was doing wide receiver coaching because that's kind of his background. Mm-hmm. And so don't hang the failures of the Patriots wide receiver room around Joe Judge's neck. Yes, he was their coach, but that was sort of a title and something he took on perhaps to learn that side of the ball a bit more to get him in position for something like this. There's a few tweets that kind of relate to this that I that I really like. Number one is from Andrew Hawkins. He says, unpopular yeah. opinion. 
special teams coordinator is better practical training for a head coaching role than defensive coordinator or offensive coordinator. Debate your mother, unquote. Right. And then Chris Long basically agreed with him. He says, also, you have to be a great motivator because those dudes are running down on kickoffs. They're nuts. Uh, I thought that defensive coordinators might be my easy number one on the motivator index, but I've also had some great special teams coaches. OCs are third when it comes to that. And, and another thing that Chris Long said that I really liked, he said, quote, you don't need motivation on game day. You need to understand when to be the good guy slash bad guy, when to cut slack, when to press the gas pedal, and how to pull guys through those lulls and letdowns. The motivation thing is misunderstood for coaches, unquote, which I like, you know, the, the context of the special team coach for Judge and also some context, too, for the Eagles, like what makes Doug Peterson such a great motivator to where teams can buy into his message as the Eagles have when the shifts have been down over the past few years. So there's some really good context from a guy who's been in that locker room with right. a guy like Doug Peterson, with a guy like Bill Belichick. Yeah. And another thing to remember is Saturday night against the Titans, you saw Stephon Gilmore out there on special teams. Right. Uh, like you saw star players on that Patriots roster on the special teams units, which means he's now replacing guys and moving guys around because of the importance of that phase of the game and because of the importance of that moment. So it's one thing to motivate a guy that's a fringe player to say, look, you want to stick in this league, you want to stick on this roster, run down and bust a wedge for me. Mm. It's another thing to grab Stephon Gilmore and say, <laughs> look, you're up for defensive player of the year. Now go cover a punt. Yeah. Like that's not what he's used to doing, but that's what you need to be able to do as a special teams coach. And, you know, you apply that to the entire team at large, the entire locker room. I think it makes a ton of sense. And of course, look, Special teams coaches don't have a long and lengthy history of getting shots as head coaches. Right. John Harbaugh, like, is. But there's, yeah, but there's a guy coaching this weekend that's done it <laughs> and he's hoisted a Lombardi. And so there's an argument to be made that, look, it could work. Now, he's going to have to make some good hires around him. Right. You know, yep. he, he needs an OC and he needs a DC. And like you sort of said, in terms of the Eagles and their offensive coordinator gig, you might want somebody with some head coaching experience. That's yep. why a Jay Gruden might make sense. It's, Jason Garrett might make sense. Right. You look at Wade Phillips. If they could hire Wade Phillips as DC, I think that makes a ton of sense oh, for them. Although yeah. he might be going the Brett Belima route or something like that. But if it does, if it's Brett Belima and Freddie Kitchens, as we're suddenly hearing rumblings about, they want to talk to Kitchens about an offensive gig. I don't know about that. Yeah. But if they could put together like a, a Garrett, a Phillips under him, that would work. I like. I that. think. Yeah, I, yeah I, I think experience at those coordinating positions is going to be huge for him. And I like the idea of Wade. I love Wade, by the way. Oh, yeah. And and obviously, you know, defensive coordinator is is the talk of the town, too, because Jim Schwartz has a you know head coaching interview with the Browns. So he could possibly out of the way. Be, so the Eagles might be looking for something, you know, in that position as well. So it, it's good to talk about. One thing that I wanted to talk about, not just with the Giants, but with the Eagles as well, because there's multiple offensive coordinator positions now open around the league. One name that we haven't talked about yet, and I'm interested to get your opinion on him because it's been a guy that I've liked in the past and has had some weird relationships with his coaches is Todd Monken, who is with the Bucks and then had play calling responsibilities. They were on fire, you know, the year before back in 2018, and then things kind of got weird. And then he got the rug pulled out from under him by Dirk Cutter, who is just a bum, in my opinion, and the offense saw some regression. And then he goes to Cleveland, and things don't work out there. But Kitchens is is basically, you know, using uh, or uh, abusing the game plan, you know, the, the stuff that they installed during the week. Monken was saying that he totally flipped the script when it came to game day. So there was a fractured relationship there. I'm 
wondering your thoughts on Monk and who I like, but I don't know because this has gone wrong for him twice now. Is it the head coaches? Is he bad at interpersonal relationships and in that front office dynamic? Like, what do you think of him? Yeah, I, I'm a fan of his. You know, I think when you study him sort of conceptually, there's a lot that he does in stressing the defense, you know, near the line of scrimmage. He works in the ability to stress the defense downfield. You know, obviously there's a lot of spread elements, some air raid stuff mixed in there. So I'm a fan of what he's done. I think with him, it might be sort of the personal relationship aspect to it and the way it's gone wrong, like you said, two different times. Now, this most recent recent instant, it was probably more a Freddie Kitchens yeah. issue than a Monken issue. I think the Kitchens for everything that he did right at the end of last year with Baker Mayfield going four and five wide, really catering to what Baker wanted to be as a quarterback, that almost went to his head, I think. Yeah. You know, he sort of tried to rein in power. We see this sometimes with, you know, younger coaches that become head coaches for the first time. They feel like they have to assert themselves. It's almost like an alpha male, alpha dog kind of thing. We saw it with Josh McDaniels basically running Jay Cutler out of town and how that situation ended up. So Kitchen was probably doing the same thing and it just came to loggerheads with Monken. Monken's an interesting name, you know, and I think that could certainly work. A name that I don't even know what the guy's doing right now, (laughs) interestingly enough, Jeremy Bates. Hmm. Remember the season that Josh McGowan had under Bates in New York like two years ago? That was incredible. It was Where they would like run an air raid stuff. Josh McGowan had the career year. And it was like, man, this offense is great. All of football Twitter, all of scheme Twitter just loved what they were doing. It was like air raid stuff. It was West Coast stuff. It was really innovative. And then they fired him. Yep. And there was a falling out. There was a weird situation there. It was because apparently he didn't want to run the ball. He didn't want to run the ball with guys like Bilal Powell and stuff like that. Yeah. So they're like, no, this is not going to work. I'm on his Wikipedia page right now. Is he alive? <laughs> like the last note on his Wikipedia page was on January 24, 2019, the Jets replaced base with Dowell Longitz. And that's it. Wow. That, that, yeah. That's a really interesting name because you're right. That 2017 season. That 2017 was, season was fantastic. Magical. The best of Josh McCown's it was, career. It was 2018, but yeah. 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 And look, I mean, Josh McCown can – he has an input. He can be like, hey. Is, is there a way you could go <laughs> – Bates as OC, McCown as QB coach? I love that. I would mean, Josh McCown be the quarterback's coach next year? Do you think he would do that? I think he would. I think I think yeah. he, he wants to be a coach. You know, he's a high school coach and everything like that. Yeah. And they pull him out of retirement and he was doing like media stuff as well. But I don't think it's out of the, out of the realm of possibility. He was basically like a, a, a coach for Carson Wentz, threat, right. a life coach, and then an actual oh. X's and O's coach. And he was doing that with Mark Sanchez. I mean, not Mark Sanchez. That's a Freudian slip. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Darnold a year ago. Jameis Winston as well. Didn't yeah. pay off with Jameis, uh, obviously. But like obviously. McCowan had a, had a big voice in that room, was an integral part yeah. of that team, and also helped Carson Wentz. The leadership aspect, the aspect, the maturity aspect, and then also working with the practice squad guys as well, like Greg Ward. You know, he pounded right. the table with Deontay Burnett from what we found out. So he has has a, a voice and what he's said and what he's done has been admirable here in Philadelphia. And he's a name that I would absolutely love to replace Press Taylor at quarterbacks coach. I mean, there is not a person on this planet, not a, not a player that has played with him that has ever had a bad word to yeah. say about Josh Who's, McCown. Has anybody ever said anything <laughs> negative about that guy? He's the most likable and, and guy. Look, 
you look at what he's done over his career. You see him at the podium, obviously, after that playoff loss and what it meant to him just to be in a playoff game in that atmosphere. But, you know, my mind always flashes back to him catching passes against the Patriots. You know, when he lied about wide receiver because right. they were dinged and they needed depth at wide receiver. The guy, look, he wants to – I'd be curious about – if he'd be willing, because he went into the media. I know he wants to get into coaching, but, you know, the family is still, what, in Carolina, North Carolina, I Correct, think? Correct, yeah. So the travel thing, he was, like, living and then flying home to coach and see his son play and go back and forth. You know, we'd be, would he be willing to stay in Philly? I don't know. But I, I'm talking myself into the idea of him at a quarterback's coach and then maybe Bates or somebody else as OC. You know what's crazy is he is nine years older than Press Taylor. There's been a lot of chatter around Philadelphia, like, is Press Taylor the right guy for Carson? Is he? Because right. John DeFilippo was was pretty hard on Wentz and really pushed yeah. him. I don't know. And the question surrounding Press Taylor is, is he old enough? Is he mature enough to kind of be that guy that Carson right. Wentz will, like, take that hard coaching from? I think Josh McCown and him mesh so well. I mean, McCown meshes with everybody, but I think McCown right. – being an older guy that's done it in the league would garner a lot more respect from a guy like Carson Wentz and it would have his ear more. It could be harsher on him and it could be, you know, press him a little bit more. Right. (laughs) Pun intended. Pun intended, yeah. Yeah, and look, some some quarterbacks need that. Like, you have to hit quarterbacks. We're we're fragile little snowflakes. Like, you have to handle (laughs) them differently. Some need to be pressed a little bit more. Wentz seems to be that kind of guy that, you know, you've got to drive him a bit. You've got to push him a bit. You can be hard on him because he can take it. Josh McGowan can do that because it comes from a position of not only have I done this, dude, I was in the game for you last year. Right. Like I've been there. Yep. Like oh, trust me on this one. <laughs> so interesting thoughts. We were supposed to come in today and talk about the different playoff quarterbacks and matchups. Look, and- I I had 10 minutes to go on the Battle of Kane. Okay. <laughs> I was going to go deep on the Battle of Kane because we thought we'd have nothing to talk about. Right. And, and Instead, we skipped over historical reference. I mean, I've got a whole thing about Hannibal's dream and everything like that. Yeah. We're going to have to get to that on the next QB Go show, but I think that's going to do it for today. Mark, any closing thoughts before we get out of here? Look, it was a tough weekend for both of us, obviously. Um, I, I did think at some point late Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, even into Monday that I would just be here with a bottle of Tito's and a shot glass and we would just go shot for shot. Um, But life moves on. We turn the page. We wonder if Tom Brady is going to be a Chicago Bear. We wonder if Carson Wentz is injury prone. No, he's not, you chuckleheads. He's not. But we go on. We forge on, as we do, at the QB Sco Show. That's right. Hit the music. That was perfect. Hit the music. Yeah.